This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I am here with Jeff Deutsch, who is the author of In Praise of Good Bookstores. Jeff, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. So could you start out by talking a little bit about how this book came to be and how it came about? Absolutely. Um, so I've been a, a bookseller for uh, over 25 years now, and I uh, grew up in spaces that uh, are filled with books, and I also have spent my career devoted to books. And I wanted to write a book that celebrated that experience. And for those who might not have had the privilege that I've had to to be among books in that way, to really uh, recreate the experience of being among books through the pages of a book. Um, and so, in praise of good bookstores, is it's not an argument, it's a celebration on behalf of good bookstores in particular, or bookstores, I should say, in particular, uh, but also what the uh, a life among books could lead to and uh, the ways in which it affects multiple uh, uh, you know, areas of, of great import, things like the space around us, the value of things that, that matter to us, our communities that we build around it, and how, as a culture, we can potentially not just celebrate what bookstores do, but also build models to support them. And so, I mean, you're in unbiasedly one of the greatest American cities around, (laughs) (laughs) right? So you're in Chicago. And so you talk about other bookstores, but you really talk a lot about the bookstore that you're involved in. Um, So before we jump into this, can you talk a little bit about sort of the seminary co-op and and how it came to be and what what it means and what it is as a bookstore? Absolutely. And thank you for asking that. And um, it is partly the greatest city because, uh, or I should say it's a great city, partly because it has not just our bookstore, uh, but an incredible bookselling community. And that, uh, I think, does distinguish uh, any any city. Um, the Seminary Co-op, to be uh, clear about why I, as the director of the Seminary Co-op, felt the need to use it as a model for good bookstores, uh, is because it has 99.9% of its uh, wares are books. We sell books and only books. The things that aren't books that we sell are uh, sweatshirts and mugs that say seminary co-op. So it is essentially a bookstore and that is all. Um, And as such, uh, it's a singular space because so many of our bookstores now uh, carry other things. So we'll we'll speak to that at some point. Um, But the other thing that is uh, special about it for the customer, before I share a bit of the history, is that the books that we carry are... uh, 
mostly university press, small press, or uh, large presses who are focusing on serious works. And um, the books themselves are from, published across the ages. Uh, they're mostly either you know, humanities, social sciences, literature, um, and uh, you know, certainly uh, some of the physical sciences, but also uh, really meant for a general reader, um, not, not for uh, the specialist. And so it is a store that has a tremendous history. It's 60 years old. It was founded by students of a seminary. That's uh, why it has the name Chicago Theological Seminary as a cooperative bookstore. So in its DNA, it already has uh, an idiosyncratic model and a, and a, a way of conceiving of a bookstore that was certainly not the prevailing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, incorporation of, of a bookstore. Um, it was a member-owned co-op for 58 of the 60 years, and some of the members included Barack and Michelle Obama, Susan Sontag, Sandra Cisneros, Gwendolyn Brooks, uh, some of the greatest minds of, of the 20th century, um, but also uh, uh, you know, f- folks who uh, were you know, grew up in, in the area and wanted to patronize a bookstore. And it was a democratically uh, supported space that believed that Good bookstores should be available to all and should be uh, uh, a part of the community. In 2019, we became the first and only not-for-profit bookstore whose mission is bookselling. And that uh, shift was an acknowledgement that the model of retail that we inherited in the 20th century to support serious bookstores was not only no longer relevant, um, but it was actually detrimental to our ability to do the business that we wanted to do. So that is a bit about the seminary co-op, and we are currently in, uh, you know, in our sixty-first year. And uh, we, while we're not thriving, we have a very bright future because of this new model. And the book itself is in praise of the kind of store that does this work, not the seminary co-op specifically. So, so you kind of, you know, you divide this book up into five chapters, um, and I want to meander into all of them as you sort of, you know, wander through them, um, as you do a good bookstore. But before we do, I think uh, one of the things you talk about, and I think is important to kind of set up, is is this mo- like is the bookstore as an institution, right? And, and as opposed and and how books are kind of undervalued uh, and and kind of what that means. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, you know, selling books, you know, for like the difficulty of selling books for a profit. I don't know if that's the best way to ask that question, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it absolutely is is a great question. And it really speaks to what is the, what is the model, the financial model to support a store like ours? Um, so I, I think that um, it probably makes sense to begin with uh, a, a question, which is, do we need bookstores in the 21st century? And why would we ask this question now? Um, we've had them for so long. Well, what, what's changed is that we have, uh, we live in a world where no reader needs a bookstore to buy books. Um and that being the case, when historically what we were here to do was sell books to readers, um, why do we need bookstores? Well, we the answer for us is that we do need them. But then the second part of that question or the second challenge is that if we need bookstores, then how do we finance them 
because no bookstore, no bookseller who sells new books can make a living selling books alone. And this is why you see socks and greeting cards and coffee shops and some sorts of travel agencies or other, other sorts of endeavors. And the argument of the seminary co-op as a store and the argument in, in my book and in praise of good bookstores of what a good bookstore is, is a store that is a space for books and books alone. And an acknowledgement that the presence of books uh, is a value in and of itself. And so when we think about the retail model where the cost of an item is, uh, is something that the, the retailer pays, they sell it at list. And the difference between those two is how they make their living. That's not a model that works. The, the, the books themselves don't have a, a high margin and certainly academic books or books itself slowly, uh, which again, the retailer needs to turn their inventory quickly. That is not a model that will pay the bills. So what model does pay the bills and what are they paying the bills for? Because if the product is books, then certainly that should be self-sustaining. Our argument is that the product of the good bookstore is actually the browsing experience. It's not the books, but the browsing experience itself. And the space itself is actually what should be supported and, uh, and financed and invested in. It's not subsidized. It's not, uh, it's not a charity. It's an investment in a, in a space that uh, creates something within the community, with the individuals that support it, similar to the way that uh, you know, a, a, a park or uh, any other public space that uh, brings people together over you know, public art or literature, things like that, that uh, it actually has a value for the community. Now, that's not the only reason that we would support it. Of course, we want to be able to sell books. Um, and that itself feels like an important part of what we're doing, a critical part. It's, it's why we're here. But that's not the financial model. The financial model is different. And I have to say, um, as a person who has more books than I will ever read <laughs> uh, and who has actually, if, you know, if we were on television, we could see that I also have many um, tattoos of books, like all over my body. Right. Um, like books, I love books. And so this made me, and I love the, you know, the finding that bookstore where you kind of wind through and, and find, you know, and like you talk about browsing and finding that space. So this really brought, it reminded me of like some of my favorite bookstores that I've been to and also bookstores that you talk about that I now want to go to. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Um, so I love that, um, you know, and so I thought like that idea. So you kind of start with that. I, you know, talked about it a little bit, that idea of space and how important yeah. you talk about even when you moved. So your bookstore moves spaces and kind of what that right. looks like. And and so what is it like? Can you like talk a little bit about that and the the importance of creating that space and what that kind of looks like? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that question, and and it's nice to hear uh, even you know your experience as well. Um, and I've had amazing experiences in bookstores and in book spaces, including going uh, as going back to my childhood uh, when I wasn't even I wasn't even a big reader, uh, but I had books everywhere, and all of my uh, you know f uh, friends' families and the, the school. And I grew I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish world, and uh, any anywhere we went, there were books, there were books everywhere. Um, 
And the seminary co-op was founded in a basement. And, and a big part of what people love about the store is these labyrinthine uh, aisles and the, the stacks themselves were, uh, they were treacherous. There were pipes you bang your head on or there were, uh, you know, uh, tripping hazards everywhere and all, all sorts of, uh, you know, it's an obstacle course in some way. And that, that was, for a lot of us, that was really fun. And we did move the space after uh, 50 or so years. Before I get into a, a brief story about that, I, I want to acknowledge that in speaking with many people over the last 20, 25 years since online bookselling has become a thing, many folks, including readers, will ask the question of why, why do we need bookstores if we can get the book online? What, what's, um, what's the point? And I think having spent my life in these spaces – it was hard for me to articulate it. I really wanted to just grab him by the hand and say, come, let's go. Let's go for a walk through the stacks. You'll see. You'll see what the difference is. It really it feels different. You, you'll have experiences that you can't possibly have online. And uh, part of why I, I wrote the book was I, I didn't have uh, an easy time articulating it. I, I wanted to... Uh, you know, pull books off the shelf and, and, and point to passages. I wanted to uh, you know, help people imagine the smells of it, imagine their reading experiences over time. And so what, what, what I'm trying to do uh, with the book is use the bookstore itself as an argument on behalf of itself. And by that, I mean the browse, you know, the bookstore, the book itself is a browse through the bookstore where I'm wandering the stacks and pulling books off the shelf and uh, reminding uh, the reader, hopefully, of experiences that they've had uh, or wetting their appetite for experiences that they haven't yet had and saying, oh, I'd love to wander a bookstore and see all these spines and, and remember uh, you know, what it meant to discover cer- certain books for the first time in, in a ta- as a tactile experience. Uh, and what does it mean to be in a space as opposed to stare at a screen, right? And so that's a big part of what, what we talk about. And I, I think I'll pause there before I get any, any more about the move uh, for the co-op. Uh, yeah, but like the other thing is, and you kind of bring that up, is like, so we've got this space and all these books, but there's also, there's no way we're going to ever read. I think I think you have, you figured out the number of like how many books that you literally have left to read, which is kind of sad. Like when I start to think about like, you know, I read a lot, but I'm like, oh, but there always are. I'm like, I'm you wander and you're like, oh, I want to read this or I want to read that. And so that like idea of like how you stock and think about the bookstore in those ways too. And so, yeah, can you talk a little bit about like, and this is, I have to say too, this made me really happy because I, I teach students who want to be teachers. Mm -hmm. And I often say we need to stop teaching that, that contrary to popular belief in high schools, people still write books. Right. Right. And we maybe should read some of those books by people who are alive and writing books. (laughs) Um, right. You know, right. And, and share the wealth. Uh, so like it may like can you talk about that abundance and, and, and what that looks like and what that means for a bookstore? Absolutely. Um, thank you for that. And I, I did do the math and I partly did the math. Uh, it's, it's a strange comparison, but I, I was a smoker for a long time. And uh, part of what helped me to quit smoking was doing the math on how many cigarettes I had smoked. And after smoking tens of thousands of cigarettes over a couple of decades, I thought, you know, I've had my share. Right. And, I, and doing that math was humbling. Similarly, doing the math around how many books one can read in a lifetime which as a bookseller felt important because I was thinking about how many books we carry on the shelf. We have 100,000 books on the shelf at the seminary co-op. Um, many you know, average-sized bookstores will carry 20,000 or so books. Uh, so it's, it's a very large store. There are wonderful bookstores that carry five or 10,000 books. Well, every year, 500,000 books are published. And 
every single one of those books it takes effort and time and uh, of the professionally published books you know which is maybe about uh, you know 40% of that these books are require uh, professions that 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 bring them uh, into the world and uh, for some many of them years and years of work to to create the the book that sits on the shelf and the bookseller's responsibility is to look at every single one and remember what has gone into this, not to take it for granted that these books are, uh, are just tossed off, especially because we see so many of them. Now we sell, uh, we, we personally at the store look at about 30,000 books every year that are published. But to your point about, you're saying we should only look at new books. A lot of people might only read new books. So what about the older ones, especially as, as we get older and we look at 30,000 books as well that have sold that have been published prior to that year and decide whether or not to replenish them. How many books can someone read in a lifetime? So when I did the math, I got to 3,500 books for a very good reader who lives a good long life, around 80 years. They're a good reader. They read maybe 50 books a year. I don't read 50 books a year, and I am uh, more than halfway to that 80. And so I probably, if I'm lucky, have about 750 to 1,000 books left. Um that's not a lot of books to a uh, reader. Uh, and, and I, I you know, look, my personal collection at home has 10 times that more than 10 times that. Um, and I love all of those books. But one, one thing I will say, I think is really important thinking about browsing uh, is that reading books uh, start to finish is one of the great joys. Um, but it's not the only joy in reading books. There is so much joy in reading, uh, including rereading, which is something I love doing. And rereading is not necessarily, uh, you know, A to Z. It's it, dipping in and out sometimes. Poetry collections, essay collections, perusing books, uh, even just sometimes holding them and, and reading the back and, and thinking about it, using them as uh, devices for rumination, devices for the imagination. Uh, there is so much that, that books can do. Of course, they're there to be read. Um, but anyone who keeps a collection will tell you that there are uh, a lot of reasons that books end up in the collection. And so when I speak about abundance, I speak, I speak about all of that. I speak about the ways in which we categorize books and, and what that does, how that sh- shifts how the minds, um, you know, conceives of certain topics or time periods or ideas or people because the adjacencies actually change how we think about, about things. And so, you know, there, there's quite a bit, um, uh, that's, that, that could be either depressing or, uh, uh, you know, overwhelming actually even about abundance, but there's also something that's so nourishing and so, uh, inspired about the abundance of a great bookstore. Yes. And one of the things, and and you mentioned this, but one of the things I appreciated that you have done in this book is have us in conversation with some great thinkers and some great writers, um, both um, from, from the, you know, some contemporary folks, as well as some folks from the, you know, the past. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I love to sort of see how they have kind of talked about their bookshelves and talked about um, those spaces for them and that relationship. And that really helps. And maybe it gives me comfort too, to know that I'm not the only one who's never going to finish every book on my shelf. (laughs) Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, you know, there's a great story. I mean, one of the best readers in the history of, of uh, history in, the, in human history is Jorge Luis Borges, who uh, was a librarian, uh, uh, and he was the librarian of the National Library in uh, Buenos Aires. And he has this absolutely gorgeous poem uh, called The Gifts. And I, I, I actually write, write around this quite a bit because I, I think it's just one of the most uh, – 
poignant things I've ever read, but also uh, stunning and subtle and, and gorgeous. And, and so what happened to him was he uh, was, I think, the th- his third generation um, progressive blindness and had actually lost his sight entirely as he was appointed uh, director of the National Library. And he writes this poem, uh, actually, I'm going to read a very short excerpt, if that's okay, uh, where he says, and so he's, he's appointed there, and he's, he finally uh, arrives, and he's actually also the third um, director of that library who, uh, who uh, was blind. He writes, Let no one impute to self-pity or censure the power of the thing I affirm." that God with magnificent irony has dealt me the gift of these books and the dark with one stroke. He has lifted these eyes now made lightless to be Lords of the city of books. And this notion that, uh, that uh, the Lord has uh, dealt me the gift of these books in the dark. Uh, it, it struck me as I was doing the numbers and looking at my own uh personal library and my history of reading, but also then the bookstore and then all the libraries and other bookstores that I go to, that in some way that's true of all of us, right? We have this gift of the books and we have this gift of the dark uh, simultaneously. And that um, that's the case. That's just the case. It's beautiful. Um, So we have this, right? So, so as we meander through the bookstore, we meander through your book, um, you move from this abundance of books. And and again, that makes me think of like those certain bookstores that I go to, you know, some bookstores are very regimented, but others where I turn the corner and there's something unexpected, you know, um, and something fun to find this. It made me think a lot about, um, bringing my children to Shakespeare and company in Paris uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and right. And them being like, why are we going to a bookstore? And then leaving with books, which they always do, but also falling in love with being able to find a cat and play and sit and read. <laughs> and it's just right. Like just to find and, and finding books that they never thought they'd find. Um, and, and that gets at that idea of like, you talk about the value and the value and sort of worth of books and, and what that yeah. means. And I think, I mean, all of this ties together too, but can you talk a little bit about that? Um, some of the things you were talking about in that in value and thinking about value. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that question. Thank you for bringing up Shakespeare and Company because um, I, actually I want to uh, have a, a slight aside here. Uh, one of the things that we're doing at the Seminary Co-op, separate from this book, and hopefully the book can support this work, is trying to imagine a model in the 21st century for the bookstore. If we were to build deliberately a financial model to support these stores, what would we do? How would we, how would we do it? And what does it mean to be a bookseller in the 21st century, especially if it no longer means being a retailer only? And the history of bookselling is actually very interesting. And the history of bookselling is not simply a retail endeavor either. And Shakespeare and Company is probably my favorite example because without Sylvia Beach and without Shakespeare and Company, uh, Ulysses itself isn't published, uh, right? And so uh, she was a publisher as well. She also uh, essentially had a, a writer's colony or residency. People were, would stay, uh, you know, would stay in the building and, and was part of a larger cultural, uh, larger cultural work and literary work that is not a, uh, what we think of when we think of booksellers now as you know, we think of them as retailers. And so I, I think there's a way to go back to the history of bookselling to also then acknowledge that the work has always been uh, about culture. It's been about literature. It's been about bringing community together over books in ways that um, 
certainly retail in the 21st century does not make space for. This is a direct, directly relates to the question about value because the question becomes, how do we value the institutions and the services and the work that we, uh, that gives our lives meaning actually, right? What does it mean to, uh, support whether it's financially or with attention or with time, what does it, or with space, what does it mean to support the things that matter to us most? And, one thing that's clear, and there's there's not a single, I am not a political economist, there's not a single argument in this book uh, on behalf of or against a certain system of political economy, um, but there is the acknowledgement that the market itself, which can do a lot of things well, is never going to be able to measure the things that matter most to us. And this is not obviously an original thought. This has been written about uh, over and over again. Um, and so if that's the case that the things that can be measured are not the things that matter most, how then do we think about the things that matter most? Something like our cultural inheritance, um, the ideas that give our lives meaning, the experiences that give our lives meaning, the moments that give our lives meaning. And there's there are a few models that I look at that I think are, are interesting, uh, but the, the lens through which I, I see quite a bit of this is through John Ruskin, uh, whose book Unto This Last was one of uh, two books by contemporaries that Gandhi thought of as the most important for him and his intellectual development. Um, and what Ruskin writes about is, is, is the work of the merchant as one of the classes of uh, one of the professions, uh, the core professions. And in thinking about the merchants, and again, I, I make this argument that we're not retailers, but certainly we are selling things. Um, there's a very subtle and beautiful argument about when we seek cheapness or savings, when we seek value and what remuneration we offer to those who are expert at what they do and how we think about the entire, um, I would say, supply chain, but also the, the labor chain of what work goes into uh, the, the goods and services that, that we care for. And it's, I, I, won't, I won't speak too much about it. The book goes into it in great detail. Um, but to acknowledge that if you're standing in the rain you're not, and a, a cab comes by, this is what Ruskin says, you're not going to uh, try and bargain in that moment. You need to get in that cab. Uh, and similarly, if the way that we think about the our economy is to always look for what is cheapest, then we're ignoring the 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 supply and the way that the work actually happens, so that this will not the work will not be supported. And I think this has great value to the conversation about bookstores because. We take something like uh, the example I give is a book called Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone, which is a book that I read uh, in 1994, the year I started book selling. It's a novel by James Baldwin. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I read my mother's paperback copy that she bought in 1969 um, for, you know, I forget, a couple of dollars. And at that, at that point, uh, the book would have been worth about $5. And in 1994, I do the math, a couple of slices of pizza and uh, you know a drink costs about $5. These are, so we're thinking about money in this way. Uh, and you know, for $5, what could you buy? Obviously, there are needs and, and all of that. So the, the, the piece that I um, really want to draw out is what, what are the 
$5 um, offer and what did it offer me at the time had I bought the book. And today, if we were to buy, if you buy that exact book, a $17 list price on uh, online, online retailers and Amazon, I should say um, specifically, the book as of the writing of the book was 30% off online, which uh, in the market economy says that this is a deal that if, you know, I won't pay full price for that book, $17, but if you discount it 30%, then, then it's actually worth it. And it's an absurd idea. And obviously, we, we need to put um, you know, money on it and we need to live. And so this, none of this, again, is, a, is about a, a conversation around political economy. But to really acknowledge that uh, the way that we think about value and savings as it relates to uh, books and the way that we think about the spaces that support that work shouldn't be the same way that we think about buying a, a couple of scones and a, cu- a cups of coffee. And and what I appreciated too, and I think it kind of um, bleeds and brings us into that chapter on community is that part of this, you know, participation in the bookstore and going and buying and supporting that bookstore has to do with how we're supporting the community, right? And so right. if if all I'm doing is trying to find the 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 deal, right, and finding it the mm-hmm. cheapest, then I'm also not part of the community that the bookstore is creating. Um, and so can you talk, I mean, in your bookstore has created a community over 60 years. Can you talk Talk mm-hmm. about how bookstores really support and create these these com- these rich and vibrant communities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that um, a bookstore can do and a physical space can do that um, is a lot more difficult online, uh, and um, is the the serendipitous discovery, uh, and that's true for the books on the shelf, but it's also true for what happens within the community. And I think, uh, for, for me anyway, uh, COVID was a really powerful example when we were in lockdown of uh, the ways in which that value was, uh, certainly I took for granted, um, but that many of us, I think, did, of what it meant to just wander into a space and uh, happen upon others. And it also became very clear to me when we were shut down for 20 months uh, to the public that we have never been a, a, a warehouse that's there to fulfill books. We've always been a physical space where that only comes to life when uh, the community convenes in it. And there were a lot of ghosts in that space that we, we all saw for 20 months. It was uh, it was powerful. It was obviously very sad, but it also was was moving to think about what work we we actually do. And I say all that to say that to bring people together over a shared love of books or shared interest in books, who are uh, looking for uh, ideas or uh, even leisure reading, but also uh, you know beauty and 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 these sorts of uh, I don't want to say like. Um, like the, the, these elevated in some way uh, pursuits and interests, there's something that exists in that space from decades, six decades now of readers descending upon it that it really can't be replicated, certainly can't be replicated online, uh, but it also can't be replicated in a, you know, in, in a, a, an Apple store or a, 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 super, a supermarket even, uh, which, you know, there are a lot of things that happen there that, that can't be replicated in a bookstore. Uh, but to have a space for that in the community seems to be the, the sort of uh, community resource and community good that we should continue to value and that we should continue to support. 
Yeah, and I appreciated um, that discussion about, right, we often see, do we need the bookstore if we have a library? And like how right. they work together, right? How they kind of work in community as well. And the importance of having, a, you know, I'm in a small town, but we have, well, we have a used bookstore and then we have our other bookstore, right? Both independently owned and we have our library and right. all of them are important to to, to access and, 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 you know, books and community. Right. Absolutely. Well, think about if we didn't have libraries and we were trying to make an argument on behalf of a library, uh, a, a free public library, it would be absurd in this day and age. No, no one would, no one would support it. And, and we're, we're making a much more modest uh, argument if, if we're making any at all. So, so your final chapter um, sort of brings us together with time and thinking about the time that bookstores sort of a good bookstore provides, right? Um, giving us, uh, you know, you talk about this slowness of time to browse through the bookstores and, and for, you know, getting lost in the bookstore. So can you talk a little bit about that um, and how you kind of um, put why time, like really thinking about time um in relation to, but also separate from these other, you know, sort of space and abundance, why that's important. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it felt important to me, especially around the um, celebration of good bookstores, serious bookstores, a seminary co-op, uh, a place like City Lights, stores that carry books from uh, across the ages, because it's uh, what you know with the famous uh, statement from Ezra Pound: uh, "Literature is news that stays news." Right? This is um, this is the news that stays news, and it's our cultural heritage. And um, whose culture? Well, in many cultures, uh, you know, a good bookstore is going to have books from across space and across time. And to be in one place where the voices of people who lived thousands of years ago and hundreds of years ago and decades ago and today uh, and born, uh, you know, born throughout, um, you know, throughout the decades, this, this is not something that we get to see, uh, you know, in, in a lot of spaces. Now go to a museum and you can see, see work um, from throughout the ages. And that is a, a remarkable and sublime experience. Uh, but that that is something that I think with any cultural work feels particularly important. Now, what's also interesting in a way that uh, I mean, almost imagine a museum where the rooms were set up just based on um, random genres. Uh, it could be based on color, and it's not about um, where where the artist was from or when they were, they were uh, painting. It could be based on material and. Uh, and, and, and obviously there are many curators who do interesting work like this. Um, but booksellers, that is, that is the way that we operate. And to walk the stacks in some way could be to, to, to time travel and to walk across the globe and, uh, and, and even to bring everyone together in one space and have uh, a conversation across time. And so thinking about those ideas uh, felt very important. And, and there was something that, I wanted to share that I love about the work that we do and the space that we create that I wanted to share with those who might not spend get to spend as much time among books as I and my colleagues do to remind them that we don't experience time in one specific way and that we all have hours that we think are valuable and we all have hours that we think are, are less so. And we have hours that we think are longer or shorter. And ultimately the question of the good bookstore is also a question about 
books. And ultimately the question about books is also the question about what matters to us and how we spend our time and what we think about and what it means to be human. And I don't want to get too highfalutin about it, though I'm sure in the book I do. Um, But I think many of us readers have had some of our um, most meaningful ideas, uh, experiences, or even, um, uh, you know, perceptions almost uh, from from the pages and the words of uh, authors in, in those books. Yeah, there's this, and I can't, of course, offhand, can't remember who the author was, but this beautiful quote about how she started to write, to have those conversations with the dead. I think it was a poet. Um, I can't remember, but right, those those ideas and that that way in which we can like continue and have those conversations. Yeah, yeah. Mary Mary, Mary Ruffell says that um, who's a wonderful poet and also a wonderful essayist wrote a great book called Madness, Rack and Honey. Uh, I'm a bookseller, so I've got to obviously be selling books other than my own here. But yeah, she um, she writes that she began writing because she uh, she made friends with the dead. They've written to her in her books about life on Earth, she, and she says something like, "I that she wanted to write." back to them and and just lists words that you know very simple words like yes and river and hair and maybe and wanted to write those things back and that dialogue is incredible i mean i was talking with emerson yesterday actually uh, he and i were having a great conversation and then you know uh, sapo came by and said wait hold on actually i have some i have a, I have a funny funny line for that and this is really the experience of, of from so many of us these aren't um i'm, I'm not really um, you know, I'm not being funny. Like these are, this is how my, my, my world is right. And yours too. Like you <laughs> just live in these worlds and it's just, it's the best, right? I mean, like you, you, you're right. No, I uh, mean, I love, I, I, I had not heard that. I've not heard her quote that quote, be, like, you know, that reference before. And I, I thought it was beautiful. It made right. Samantha Hunt, who I think is a, an amazing author, amazing. writes these things, you know, talk, like a lot about like these ghost stories and like people right. and ghosts and buildings and everything talking to you. And it just like, I was like, this is a lovely way to think about about right like what what these you know those you know thinking about that and thinking about reading and what it does and 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 where it sort of brings you in that conversation so i love that i think that's exactly right i very quickly hearing you say samantha hunt i mean so one one of the things that's so important for booksellers yeah booksellers are enthusiasts first and foremost we love we get excited about books we talk about books all the time and um i don't know if you're referencing her new book called the unwritten book and investigation Right. And so we have a few members on staff who've read it and loved it and they, and they're already getting people excited and you're excited about it. So exactly. And this is, this is the work that we do. And, and again, and thinking about, you know, I've, I've been a little bit poetic today and maybe a little bit too didactic, but really it's just about enthusiasm and sharing the great love of books. And that's what book selling is. And that's what I'm so excited to do. And that's why we need spaces that support it. And that's the argument. Yeah. So you, and you have, and you, and you reference this a little bit, you're, you kind of have, you had, you added an epilogue about, you you know, what's with COVID and all of that. And so Mm -hmm. um, like, are there, you know, are there things that you're thinking about like this, you know, as you sort of move forward, as you finish this book and now like what, I mean, maybe not like what, what is that next? I don't know if the next step or or that next move or what is this? Like, what do you also, I don't know what I'm exactly trying to say, but that, you know, what is that epilogue for you? (laughs) Maybe that's the best way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I, 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 I had planned on writing a different epilogue, uh, but it was stark to shut the doors in uh, March of 2020, and um, and it was obviously stark for all of us. And and it was interesting to uh, be 
in a physical space in March of 2020 and April and May and June doing physical work with 45 people uh, uh, in you know, in a bookstore that didn't have any community and didn't have browsers and didn't have our readers. It felt, um, it was clear that we weren't actually doing our work, even though we were moving books around. Um, but the, the epilogue does, it, it goes beyond that and it speaks to, uh, multiple other things and themes in the book, but really the note that I end on and that I want to end on, um, here is saying that there, there is, we've historically, you know, um, we have talked about the good society and the good life and the idea behind the good bookstore for me is, is an acknowledgement that there's something here that's aspirational. There's something here that, uh, you know, even if we only, um, are dreaming of what, what these spaces could do, it's seems to me, and I hope I can, I can be persuasive to say that it's incumbent upon us to build models for the future that support the sort of work that we want to be doing and the sort of spaces that we want to be keeping. And I, I'll leave you on this very optimistic note around it, which is that booksellers uh, are as enthusiastic as ever and are as creative as ever. And the young generation of booksellers, those who are just joining in their, you know, late teens and their twenties and their thirties, uh, some in their forties have so many ideas about what bookselling can mean in the, in the 21st century. Uh, and more importantly, how to find creative ways to support it. And we're all clear that the retail model itself is not the solution long-term. And part of what's happening now, there's a reimagining bookstores movement. Uh, 600 uh, booksellers met uh, you know, through Zoom uh, back in October of 2021 to think about ways to bring bookstores to their communities and uh, you know, previously underserved communities, uh, communities of color. What does it mean to have books that are by underrepresented authors and presses or academic author and presses, books that sell slower, that aren't necessarily market-driven? There's a lot of creativity, excitement, and uh, fresh ideas about how to make this work. But the thing that we know for sure, and I hope that anyone who's listening understands, is that this is not a problem for booksellers to solve. It's a problem for uh, we as an educated populace and a civically minded uh, uh, populace to, to come together and solve. And I should say, when I say educated, I mean educating and learned. I don't mean that um, we have degrees. I mean that we are interested in ideas and, and bringing people together over books. And that to me is uh, the, the hope long term is that we have more bookstores, more good bookstores, and that any community that wants one has a model that can support it. Yeah, it's it's been really, I, I will say another one of my favorite cities because I lived there for a long time is Philly um, and Uncle uh-huh. Bobby's in Philly. Um, Bobby's, I'll shout out to Mark, story. who was my dissertation yep. advisor. But like, like there's right. these great, there's these other sort of, you're starting to see exactly what you're talking about. Like, That's how right. do we reimagine? How do we bring in these stores into communities and, and revitalize the community by using the bookstore and books as a model for doing that. And so it's Absolutely. really what you're saying, right? I, I love when I, when I see that, I'm like, this is so great. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so this book can, so my final question is always like, what are you, I mean, with this, this is just coming out. So what, um, and this should air on your, on your pub date. So what's going on? Like, are there things you want to push and promote um, with, with this oh. book or anything else? What's those final, like, yeah. <laughs> shout out? 
Yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a uh, Princeton University Press as a publisher has been uh, a, a wonderful and incredibly generous in, in, in supporting a, a tour. So I'll, I'll be touring through the East Coast, um, you know, beginning of April, then the West Coast, and then um, and then uh, the Midwest uh, throughout April and then into May. Um, my website has information Jeff Deutsch Come and uh, you know, I'd love to continue these conversations on the trail about what um, what bookstores have meant to folks, but also how to bring bookstores to communities and how to uh, in- ensure that we do certain even lobbying about what uh, how many municipalities are giving money to uh, not just to lure Amazon's headquarters, um, but to other businesses. What uh, and then on the other side, cities like San Francisco gave money to their historic independent bookstores to support them can we find more of the latter uh ideas and how can we think differently about the support that we give to bookstores and what it means to build these models so you know I, i'm interested in obviously i want i'd love to have readers read the book but i'm, I'm also on a mission about shifting the uh com- the national conversation uh, and i and the 599 other folks on the reimagining bookstores com- call i think are, are all part of this to say these stores matter these spaces matter uh let's let's first of all act like it and second of all let's do something about it to make sure that they're here for years to come so, Jeff, it's been great talking. I mean, I could talk books all day. But, uh, so, Jeff <laughs> so, Deutsch again, who is the author of In Praise of Good Bookstores. Thanks so much for joining me on New Books Network. Thank you, Rebecca. It's such a pleasure. <laughs>